Hi everyone, welcome back. So, I said that we would occasionally take a break from our Jewish history timeline to discuss current events in Israel and the Jewish world. And this seems like a good spot to do that. If you've been paying attention to the news lately, and not just the Israeli or Jewish news, but like the front pages of the New York Times, you probably have seen headlines about things going on in Israel relating to the settlements. Specifically, a settlement called Amona getting evacuated, and a law in the Knesset regarding territory in the West Bank. While Israeli settlements are always an issue, a confluence of political and legal events have made the past couple of weeks especially noteworthy. No matter which side of the spectrum anyone is on, nearly everyone is in agreement that these actions are provocative, in both good ways and bad. Since this is Jew I don't know, what's going on right now is something we should know, and it leads to some of the most important questions facing Israel and the Jewish people. What kind of country should the Jewish state be? How are we going to get there? And is there any hope of a peaceful solution with the Palestinians? So let's get into it. Here we go. I would say to young people that we can do everyone our share to redeem the world. All right, so to get up to speed, let's just take a few minutes to discuss the history of the settlements, the governing ideologies and key players, the different kinds of settlements, and the arguments for and against on all sides. This episode will last approximately 17 days, so get comfortable. In other words, there are way too many facets to discuss all at once. So let's summarize and cut some corners. The two main things I want to discuss are separate but very closely related. One is the evacuation this week of Amona. And the other is the Knesset's passage of a law that allows Israel to expropriate private Palestinian land in the West Bank. Let's start with Amona, which has been in the news the last few days. Amona is a small settlement with just a couple hundred people, about 40 families, located in the central part of the West Bank, a little bit north of Jerusalem. It's actually, technically it's not termed a settlement, but rather an outpost. And that's because Israel never officially authorized its construction, although Israel did apparently provide some services and utilities. It was founded in 1995 on privately owned Palestinian land. That's important. But it's also important to note that when we're talking about private Palestinian land in this context, we're talking about land that has not been developed. In other words, Amona didn't displace any Palestinian homes. No one was kicked out. There is a dispute about whether the land was being used for agriculture or not, but as I say, it's disputed. But in any case, Amona got sued. They got sued by a group of Israeli NGOs and local Palestinians. And they lost. In fact, they lost every single subsequent petition for the next 20 years, including ones before the Supreme Court, all of which claimed that Amona illegally expropriated Palestinian land. The outpost was ordered to be demolished and the settlers evacuated, but it wasn't until 2006 that that actually happened. It took 10,000 Israeli police and soldiers to evacuate about 4,000 people, most of them protesters, and it was violent. No one was killed, but hundreds were injured as the protesters and settlers barricaded themselves inside buildings and fought with the police and soldiers, trying to delay the inevitable. While some buildings were demolished in that effort, many were left intact paving the way for another Supreme Court fight. And this time the Israeli government managed to get a postponement of several years. And also during this time, some of Amona's settlers purchased the land and continued building and living there. 
But finally, in 2014, the Supreme Court ruled that the outpost had to be completely evacuated, totally demolished, and the land returned to the Palestinians, since it was illegal for the settlers to have purchased it in the first place. Which brings us to the events of this past week. With all the appeals exhausted, the Israeli government sent in police and soldiers once again to remove the residents and destroy the buildings. And once again, they were met with resistance live on TV, but with much less violence and injury than in 2006. Still, it was rough. Jewish settlers screaming insults at Jewish police and hurling tear gas, pepper spray, and large rocks at the cops. Jewish soldiers wrestling fellow Jewish citizens to the ground, smashing in doorways and windows to try to force people to evacuate their homes and the synagogue. Inside the synagogue, someone spray-painted the Israeli police logo with a swastika. Even if you agree with the need to destroy the settlement, it's hard to watch people with such emotion and conviction confront state power, and the police and soldiers who face insult and violence for having to do it. Israeli commentators on every side of the debate ultimately seem to agree on one thing, that it was really tragic. But why? Why is the evacuation of Amona front page news and so important? So there are a few reasons. The first is a positive one. Israel is a democracy, and its judiciary is fiercely independent of national politics, especially the Supreme Court. And in this case, despite the fact that many prominent and powerful politicians were supportive of Amona, the rule of law won out, and the government, to its credit, carried it out. Many people in Israel, not just the West Bank settlers, believe that Jews have an absolute right to build on this land. And yet the government, from its highest-ranking politicians to its local police officers, followed the instructions of the Supreme Court. This is how democracy works. But this is also the same reason why many people consider the evacuation a tragedy. If you believe in the right of Jews to build on the land, then the sight of Jewish police and soldiers forcibly evacuating screaming, crying fellow Jews from their own homes and their own land is an outrage and terribly shocking. How can the Jewish state, they ask, allow Jews to be removed from land that should be rightfully theirs? After all, the Palestinians weren't using the land. It was, arguably, empty. And anyway, the government of Israel supports the building of West Bank settlements in many cases. Why not this small 40-family outpost as well? Rabbi Daniel Hartman, the president of the Shalom Hartman Institute, points out that most Israelis know that all of this land in the central part of the West Bank will eventually become part of the Palestinian state, when peace is someday achieved between the Israelis and the Palestinians. But the problem, Rabbi Hartman points out, is that people also know that we are nowhere close to achieving that peace, and it's hard to envision it, it happening even in the future. So there's a tension here. If you believe that peace isn't possible, or isn't going to happen anytime soon, and, and by the way, there are good reasons why you might conclude that, that's for a different podcast episode, but then why evacuate these settlements like Amona? Why cause so much angst and hardship and bad blood all around for nothing? But if you are someone who does believe that eventually peace is possible, then you might also think that we need to now create the conditions to allow for that peace to happen. And that means leaving the settlements that sit on land we know are necessary for a Palestinian state. And this brings me to my next subject, the Knesset law. At the same time that Amona was being evacuated this week, the Knesset passed a law that will effectively allow situations like Amona to become legal, though in Amona's case it's too late. It's being called the Regularization Bill, 
And it says that Israel can claim private Palestinian land in the West Bank if a settlement has been built there with the support of the Israeli government, or if the settlers can prove that they had no idea this land was private. It is also, in certain circumstances, retroactive. In other words, to put it bluntly, it allows Israel to seize private Palestinian land for settlements. Now, it doesn't turn over ownership of the land to the settlers themselves. In other words, they won't own the property their house sits on. But it also doesn't allow the Palestinians to claim ownership of that land until there is someday a peace agreement in which Israel would evacuate that settlement. Palestinians can be compensated under the law, either with another plot of land or with an annual payment. But in the end, under this law, that land becomes a part of Israel. Now, practically speaking, it's less immediately drastic than it's made out to be. If the law survives court challenges, which it probably won't, the number of affected settlements is around 50, or about 4,000 housing units. But in the longer term, it is pretty dramatic, because of the politics, but also mostly because of what it says about the direction that Israel is heading. And this is what everyone is talking about. There are three major players in this particular situation, all with a different point of view. The first major player is Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Netanyahu is right-wing, or depending on your point of view, very right-wing. He supports the settler movement and is also not keen on ever making peace with the Palestinians. But what he really supports most of all at the end of the day is the status quo. In other words, the current situation whereby Israel continues to occupy this Palestinian territories, the Palestinians hate it, the world hates it, but by and large, things kind of go along without a war. So while Netanyahu supports the settlers, he really doesn't like rocking the boat that much, and he's against dramatic moves that will change the status quo in one direction or the other. The second major player is even further to the right of Netanyahu, and that is a collection of politicians who not only support the settler movement, but are vocally in favor of annexing much of the West Bank, preventing any future Palestinian state from forming. They are led by the Jewish Home Party, whose major figure is the current Minister of Education, Naftali Bennett. Bennett supports the regularization bill, wants to push Israel into taking over most of the West Bank, and is also a key political ally of Netanyahu. Netanyahu needs Bennett and Bennett's political party in order to effectively stay in power. Israeli parliamentary system is a completely different podcast episode. So, we have the extreme right, Naftali Bennett, which has been agitating to support and expand the settlements with an aim to annexing the West Bank so as to thwart a Palestinian state. And we have the Prime Minister, Netanyahu, on the right, who is sympathetic to their position, but because he supports the status quo, has thus far been able to prevent them from moving the needle too far in one direction. So, what happened all of a sudden the past couple of weeks that they were able to do this? And the answer is the third major player, which is the United States. It has been official United States policy for decades now to support the creation of a Palestinian state, and therefore to be against the continued building of settlements that would prevent that from happening. Up to now, Netanyahu has been able to blame President Obama for not carrying out the wishes of the extreme right in Israel. Because of the United States' and Obama's opposition to settlements, Netanyahu gets to say to his allies, Hey, look, guys, I agree with you, but my hands are tied because the United States and that jerk Obama won't let me do whatever we want. Oh, well, what can we do? 
In this way, Netanyahu has been able to keep his political strength by blaming everything on Obama and slow walking, moving the needle on the settlements and other aspects of the right-wing agenda. But we don't have Obama anymore. As of this week, he's water skiing with Richard Branson in the Virgin Islands. Now we have President Trump. And if there is one thing that Trump has made crystal clear, it is that he has absolutely zero understanding of how anything works in the Middle East. Coming into office, Trump suggested that he would give Israel free reign to act as it pleases in this area, and that he would not object to Israel expanding the settlements. So you can imagine the pickle that put Netanyahu in. Naftali Bennett and the right wing basically said to Netanyahu, hey, now that we don't have any opposition from the United States, we can move forward. And Netanyahu had no political choice but to agree, although he did try to delay the vote for at least a couple of weeks, but to no avail, it passed the Knesset. And now Netanyahu looks bad. It's important to note that this law is, in fact, unprecedented. Sure, there are plenty of settlements in the West Bank, many built with Israel's support. But what makes this law different, what really crosses the line for its critics, is that with the exception of certain security necessities, Israel until now has not regulated private Palestinian land ownership. Why? Because it would be anti-democratic, and Israel is a democracy. Non-Jews in the West Bank aren't Israeli citizens. They don't vote for the Knesset, or vote at all in Israel, or have Israeli civil rights. And therefore, Israel doesn't have any authority to legislate for them in a democratic system. To expropriate their private land in this matter would probably be pretty clearly a violation of the Geneva Conventions. Israel's attorney general came out against the law, and said that he won't defend it if and probably when Israel gets sued. Most observers expect that the Supreme Court will strike it down eventually anyway. The confluence of these separate but related events with Amona and with the law have brought to the fore the question that hovers over everything in Israel. What kind of country will Israel be? A Jewish state or a democracy? And where will its borders be, and therefore where will a Palestinian state's borders be, in a way that meets the security needs of Israel with the needs of the Palestinians to have a viable country? And how is Israel going to remove potentially hundreds of thousands of settlers who currently reside on land that they consider given to the Jews by God? If Israel wants to regulate Palestinian land ownership in the West Bank, then Israel needs to annex the West Bank, permanently adding it to Israel's territory. But to do that, Israel would need to make a choice. Do we give the millions of Palestinians living there an equal vote as citizens? which in the next couple of decades would mean that Jews would become a minority in Israel, and thus Israel will no longer be a Jewish state. To say nothing of the fact that the Palestinians in that scenario never get their own country, they just get absorbed into Israel. But if Israel doesn't do that, if it doesn't give Palestinians the vote, then it has to treat them as second-class citizens, which turns Israel into an apartheid state. These are bad choices. They can be avoided with the creation of a Palestinian state in the West Bank, but then there has to be a decision about where, down to the millimeter, that border will be. It won't be along the current line that marks the separation between proper Israel and the West Bank, because there are too many settlements on the West Bank side of that line that Israel won't want to give up, both because of security reasons and also because there are hundreds of thousands of Jews already living there, too many to effectively evacuate. But what about all the Amonas out there? 
those small outposts with a few hundred people here and there living on seized Palestinian private land that will have to be turned back over to the Palestinians. But who have, in the meantime, established their homes and families and synagogues and communal life, often with the support of Israel's government. So to really understand what is going on with the West Bank settlements and Israel's relationship to those settlements and to the settlers, you have to be comfortable understanding the paradox that Israel is faced with. For reasons of security, history, domestic politics, and logistics, Israel can't give up the West Bank. It can't demolish all the Amonas. But for reasons of the future, for international support, for the avoidance of war, for the needs of the Palestinian people, and to preserve the Jewish democracy, it has to give up these Amonas. This is the conundrum that lies behind the headlines you're reading and why they're so emotionally volatile. So what's going to happen with all this? Well, for the Amona settlers who got evacuated, it's not like they're being forced back into Israel proper. They have, for now, mostly been crashing on couches and other nearby settlements, and Netanyahu has promised to establish a new settlement somewhere else in the West Bank for them. President Trump has since walked back some of his ill-advised comments to now grudgingly admit that the settlements aren't helpful to peace with the Palestinians. Thanks, Donald. On Wednesday this week, Trump and Netanyahu are scheduled to meet at the White House, so look ahead to the outcome of that meeting for a signal about what's to come of the United States' policy with regards to settlement building. That will determine Netanyahu's political power to either push back against the extreme right or to continue to hold them off in favor of the status quo. So, I wrote two versions of this episode initially. One that went much more in-depth into the history of the settlements with a lot more background, and then this one that focused mostly on the events of the past couple weeks and the immediate implications. I really, I, I can't decide which one better served you all. With this version you just heard, I keep feeling like I need to explain the backstory for people who might not really know that much about the settlements, but then I would think that it was just too much information all at once. So... If you are now even more confused than when you started listening and have even more questions, then I've done my job as a Jewish educator. So I'll live with that. And next episode, don't worry, we're back to the Bible, talking about that time when Abraham almost sacrificed his son Isaac. Thanks for listening, everyone. Shabbat.